0: Today on the Doc on the Run podcast, we're talking about a fracture in the ball of the foot and what it takes to get back to running with Coach Craig Moss. So the big question is this, how are runners like us, who don't like hearing doctors say, just stop running, who know that we simply have to stay active, how do we heal in a way that lets us stay strong, maintain our running fitness and keep preparing for the next race and still heal without making the injury worse? Well, that is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Dr. Christopher Segler, and welcome to the Doc on the Run podcast. Well, today, we're talking about how a fracture at the base of the toe can resemble lots of different things like a stress fracture, a plantar plate sprain, and an aroma, but more importantly, how one runner was able to deal with his injury and get back to running. If you get pain and swelling in the ball of the foot, you might become worried you have a fracture. Let's face it, when runners get an aching pain in the ball of the foot or in the foot in general, you know the very first thing we start to worry about is probably a stress fracture. The good news is, is in the overwhelming majority of cases where you have pain in the ball of the foot at the base of the toes, it's usually not a broken bone, but it can happen. In today's episode, we have an interview with Coach Craig Moss, who is a 46-time marathon finisher. Now, Craig had an interesting injury where he actually broke the base of the second toe during a cool-down exercise. It was really just a small chip fracture at the base of the proximal phalanx bone where the toe connects to the foot. The reason I think this is going to make an interesting episode and one you'll enjoy is that it dispels a couple of myths. Number one, you know, many people think that if you can walk on the foot, It can't be broken, and that's just not true. In fact, Craig was not only walking on the foot, he went out and ran 16 miles before he started realizing that this was actually a significant injury. Myth number two is that you have to spend six weeks in a fracture walking boot to heal a fracture in the foot. That also is not always true. If you have pain in the ball of the foot, you could have a neuroma. You could have a plantar plate sprain. You could have a stress fracture. But if you had any kind of trauma, you could also have an injury like Craig's where there's a little chip in the bone where the joint capsule and the plantar plate ligament attach to the bone at the base of the toe. I think you'll find this is a really interesting story. So let's tune in. Today on the Doc in the Red podcast, we got Craig Moss here who had an unusual injury while he was training doing a track workout. And because this injury can be kind of confused with a lot of other things, including a plantar plate sprain or a metatarsal stress fracture or capsulitis, I want to have him on to share his story and talk about what was going on, how it happened, what it really felt like, how he figured out what was really going on, and then how he got back to running and continued training. So Craig, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for being here. And thanks for being willing to share your story today. No problem. Hopefully I can help somebody. What's your running background? Like, you know, what kind of runner are you? What have you done historically? And how long have you been running? I
1: started running when I was 18. I'm currently um, 46. Um, I started running when I was 18 to lose weight. I was, over, you know, 120 pounds overweight. So wow. I started running to lose weight, tried to run a marathon one day. After a couple of long runs, you know, months and months of running, I did a couple of 10 mile runs. I was like, hey, let me do a marathon just to see how far I can actually run without stopping. And I actually finished the whole thing without stopping in a pretty decent time. I was hooked four days later. Because as soon as I was done, I was like, I'm, ne- I'm never doing that again. And then four <laughs> days later, I was like, you know, I got to do this again. So ever since I've been 18, 19, I've been doing marathons. I've done um, 46 of them at this point. Wow, And I'm also a coach for a program called Students Run LA, where we take at youth risk and train them to do the LA Marathon every year. All
0: right. So obviously by any measure, an experienced runner. So 46 marathons, I'm sure you've had some little things here and there, which kind of resemble injury, but maybe haven't, you know, kept you really out. So, you know, you can't train people or do that much without having something happen, right? And but this was an unusual thing that happened. So what were you training for when you got injured? Um, it
1: was the summer of 2017. It was July 4th. I just got done with the eight mile run. I was kind of just training, just stay fit for the summer, not really focusing on anything, but you know, you want to keep your mileage up. Yeah. I got done with the run and I was doing a cool down. So I was doing leg swings, straight leg swings, barefoot, and I just lost focus. And I basically just kicked the ground as hard as I could. My toes went straight into the ground and I have the Morton's toe where the second toe is bigger than the first toe. Uh Uh-huh. So that one took the brunt of the kick. And at first, I was just like, wow, that hurt. You know, no big deal. I got them, you know, my cool down, stuff like that. And then um, we went to a 4th of July parade, and I couldn't walk real well. Like, it felt like a bruise on the ball of my foot. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, you know, the rest of the day, I'm icing it, heating it, icing it, heating it, you know, back and forth, back and forth. And the next day, you know, I had the day off because it's summer and I'm a teacher. I still had, you know, a run scheduled. So I go out and I run like a normal stubborn runner. You know, I got to get my mileage out. And it just felt like a bruise on the ball of my foot, but it wasn't really bad where I couldn't put pressure on it at first. So I was like, oh, whatever. It's just a bruise. I'll go home and ice it. So, you know, I got done running, went home and iced it, took the next day off. And then I had a 16 mile run planned the next day in the mountains on a Saturday. Mm -hmm. So I went up and did that. And, you know, surprisingly in a brand new pair of shoes, up and down the mountain, eight miles up, eight miles down, I ran great. But, you know, my foot was a little sore. And I kept doing this for a couple, three, four weeks and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And yeah. on that 16 mile run up the mountain, I just, I'm a podcaster. I love listening to podcasts. I happened to catch your podcast. I had never listened to your podcast before. I happened to catch your podcast. I think you were actually a guest on someone else's podcast. Let me put it oh, that okay. way. Uh-huh. You're, a, you're a guest on someone else's podcast. So then as soon as I got home, I started looking you up and I was like, well, if things get worse, I'll look into it more. So a couple of weeks later, things were worse and I, you know, started listening to your podcast, liked what you're saying about continuing to run through injury and got a hold of you to see what we could do and figure things out.
0: Okay. You know? All right. So to back up for a second, so for, you know, most people that do drills, there's all kinds of drills you can do, right? And so the the straight leg swings, like why don't you describe exactly what that is for the people who you know, maybe running run in a long time, they really don't do any kind of drills. I and mean, let's face it, lots of people who run who don't do drills, they don't stretch, they just basically go run a lot and do that over yeah. and over year after year. So what exactly, how would you describe that?
1: Well, I was one of those runners too. I had to learn the hard way to <laughs> actually start stretching, you know, through a sacral fracture, I had to learn that you actually do need to loosen up your muscles before and after
0: <laughs> yep.
1: and get them more. So um, a straight leg swing would be, you know, if you're standing straight up. Yeah. I support my left side with my hand on like a rail, like a, you know, staircase rail or something like that. Right. A wall. So the left leg is straight on the ground. You're straight up. And then you take your right leg and just swing it like you were kicking a football Uh or a soccer ball. Um, as high as, you know, as high as your hamstrings will let you go or your hips will let you go. And you swing back the same way, keeping them straight, just so you can work on your, you know, hip mobility,
0: and Uh um, hamstring lengthening. It's more of like a dynamic way to stretch your muscles out. Okay, so you're basically stationary, holding on to something with your hands for balance and just keeping your leg completely straight, one at a time. You're just swinging it back and forth using the momentum of your leg to kind of pick up speed and at the end range of motion kind of stretch things out. It's really what it is, right? You said it better than I did. Okay, but you're doing it barefoot, right? After your yeah. after your run. Okay. And yeah. you said like so when you were doing that when your leg's swinging through, you know, with all that momentum, it you know, the, basically your toes and the ball of the foot just smacked into the ground. Right. Yeah. Were you on the track or were you on a road? Where were you? I was at my house standing on my wood deck. Okay. So you hit wood, right? And wood's still not really soft, right? In fact, one time I was at a medical conference. This is like probably, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago and it was in New Jersey. And I had on my schedule, I needed to do, um, an 18 mile run. And I ran like 18 miles on the boardwalk in New Jersey. Man, there is, I swear, I think you could run on marble and it would be softer. It was unbelievable (laughs) how bad that beat me up. You know, I mean, the boardwalk there in New Jersey is, uh, it's a solid boardwalk. I mean, they drive police cars on it, you know. So um, it's lots of, I guess, concrete and steel underneath that thing. And somehow I've just assumed it was going to be fine and it wasn't. So, you know, any hard surface can beat you up. But obviously if you swing your foot with full force straight into, you know, wood, it's not very forgiving. But a couple of interesting things here. So, you know, in your story, you basically said you did this, you hurt it. It obviously hurt at the time. But, you know, you were at the 4th of July parade. It really didn't hurt that much. You're walking around. I mean, it sounds like you weren't really protecting it. You weren't on crutches. You weren't really limping, you know, enough so that you went for a run after that and then planned on doing this 16-mile run where, you know, it's really arduous. I mean, not just like a a simple run. It's a run in the mountains, right? So, yeah, I'm talking about a hard run. And then you figured out something was wrong because it was really hurting. But did you have any bruising or swelling or was it just uncomfortable?
1: It was just uncomfortable. There was no bruising. Okay. So it just really, I really felt like a like if you touch it, if you put your finger on it and push, it felt like a big bruise on the whole ball of the foot. Obviously, more towards the two bigger toes. Yeah. In that area.
0: Yeah. So that's one of the things is that. So on a scale of one to ten, if you had to think back and I know it's a couple of years ago, but if you had to think back and try to rate that pain on a scale of one to ten, one being you know you can barely feel it, and ten being somebody chopped off your leg with a dull axe, like. What would you say it was? What would you call it? Um, it would probably be in the six to seven range. Okay. Probably. All right. So, um, but that's
1: a, you know, that's a runner six to seven. So, on exactly. Person,
0: like a <laughs> nine. Yeah, exactly. So, I was just actually writing um some material for an episode this morning about pain levels. You know, that's the thing is, so you have like what you call maybe a six out of ten pain, and you were gonna still run sixteen miles in the mountains on it, and that seemed completely reasonable, and. You know, you didn't have any bruising, you didn't have any swelling, but part of the problem with the ball of the foot is that, you know, you have this big, thick fat pad that cushions you. And so, you know, you can kind of get a lot of inflammation that kind of gets hidden because it's deep in that tissue and it just feels like a little uncomfortable, feels a little bit like a bruise or whatever, Uh, but it can be misleading. So obviously you didn't think this was a serious thing. You know, you're still running on it, still thinking it would be fine to go for all the long workouts that you can obviously enjoy a lot more. Being a teacher, being off in the summer, it's a lot easier to do that in the summer. And, and it's nice running in the summer, right? Let's just be straight yeah. about it. Oh, yeah. But then when you really started figuring it out, you know, you look at it, try to figure it out. We talked about it and you got an x-ray. What'd you find?
1: The x-ray was negative. There was inconclusive. It didn't show anything.
0: But you'd expect that something would show up, right? If something's wrong, you think as runners, you know, we always think if you get an x-ray, something's going to show up. And most of the time when people have pain in the ball of the foot, nothing shows up when they go and get an x-ray.
1: Yeah. And then trying to get a CAT scan or a CT scan to find like a micro fracture. I mean, that's hard going through insurance and stuff like that. And that's a two, three month process. If you're going to see a doctor and then get the referral, then try and schedule the appointment, you know, those type of things.
0: Right. So that can be very difficult. Yeah. That's the whole thing is that, you know, I often would get, I do these calls with doctors to try to get something. Pre approved through an insurance company. And most of the time, they'll send some ridiculous letter that says, Well, we'd like you to do a boot and crutches for four to six weeks before we authorize this. And most things are going to heal in four to six weeks. They're just trying to avoid the diagnostic cost, you know. But if you can rule out something like a fracture, then, you know, you can get back to running a lot sooner, a lot safer. So, you know, it's just, I mean, let's face it, when you get insurance, what you do is you sign a contract and agree to pay a certain amount of money every month. And the insurance company gives you an outline of the stuff they will do their very best to not pay for. You yeah. know, that's what you're buying. But that's the way it is. And so then how did you figure out what was really wrong? Like, what was it that finally, you know, conclusively showed what was really wrong?
1: Well, as I kept running on it, it kept getting worse and worse and worse. It was just hurting more and more and more. And it was aching all throughout the day. And then like, it was starting to be where I couldn't put as much pressure on it.
0: Okay. So but that's a bad point, sign, right? Like, obviously.
1: Yeah. So at that point I reached out to you and I think I reached out to you on a Saturday and you got back to me on that same Saturday. And we started talking that Saturday evening, I want to say, or Mm -hmm. the Sunday one or the other, but it was like almost immediate. And you and I had a Skype session and you made me go through a lot of pulling my toes this way, that way, touching this area, touching this area, you know, that type of stuff. And you diagnosed it over Skype with what you thought it was. So my doctors didn't do it. You did it via Skype.
0: Yeah. So, but then, so what was the issue? Like what was really wrong?
1: The second toe from the big toe, you know, when I pull it back, it would mm-hmm. hurt really bad. Right. And if I pulled it all the way down, it hurt really bad. When it was straight and stationary, it wouldn't hurt you bad. Right. So it was almost like, you know, the the toe extension, pushing off the toe when you're walking was obviously the painful part because you're mm-hmm. extending that toe and pushing, using that toe to push off and stuff like that.
0: Right. So that implies then that you, um, you know, you don't have something like a metatarsal stress fracture because it, when you have a metatarsal stress fracture, if you move the toe around, it really doesn't cause any discomfort. It really only hurts if you try to bend the metatarsal or push right where the fracture is on that metatarsal. So kind of rule that out. Right. But that implies more of something like uh, the plantar plate being injured or the joint capsule surrounding the plantar plate where it attaches and pulls on the bone. Either the base of the proximal phalanx or the metatarsal bone, like at the metatarsal neck, uh, one of those areas which might be injured. Okay, so basically, if you sprain all that stuff and you pull off, you know, like a, you know the attachment where it attaches to the bone because you smacked into it or it chips off a piece of bone where the joint capsule and the plantar plate attaches to the bone, what did it take to heal it?
1: My doctor, at the same time, my doctor after I got the X-ray told me to go see a podiatrist. Uh-huh. So as I was, you know, scheduling that, I was talking to you, you suggested that I take my second toe to my third toe yep. and then you showed me how to cut the insoles of my shoes
0: uh-huh.
1: a special way, which obviously we couldn't really show via podcast, <laughs> you'd have to yeah, right. link, it in sh- link it in the show notes somehow. Yeah. Yeah. So I could was, do that. That, yeah. was, that was the game changer, the cutting the hole in the insole the correct way to allow it to have a little flex in it. Mm-hmm that worked out a lot. And actually after, you know, you did that, told me to do those two things and then stick with the heat ice where, you know, you ice for five minutes, then you heat for three minutes, ice for three minutes, heat for three minutes, and then ice for three minutes. Yeah. The
0: contrast bath routine. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Doing that three times a day. Those three things seemed to like help me get back out on the road. And then I went to go see my doctor, my podiatrist, right? He suggested a boot which Uh I know you're vehemently against. And then he actually, and this is a funny story. I walk in there and I showed him the way I was taping my foot with KT tape. Uh And he was like, "Mm." he's like, that's interesting. Where did you see that? And I like told him about you. And then I showed him my insoles and he was like, that's interesting. where did you learn that? Like (laughs) i almost knew more than than the podiatrist just off of a couple of Skype sessions and phone conversations with you. It was kind of actually disheartening, you know? (laughs) So they gave me the boot anyways and I took it, but I didn't
0: wear it. I, I, you know, I wore it out cause they gave it to me and I just took it on my car and
1: just sat there for, it's still actually there. <laughs> yeah.
0: So here's the thing though, is like the standard treatment for all these kind of injuries, even when an insurance company doesn't want to pay for an MRI or something, they'll say, well, we think you should use a boot for four to six weeks. Well, the, the fact is, is that if the only goal is to get that pain to go away and heal that injury, and that's the actual only goal that if you do not walk on it for four to six weeks, or if you use a fracture walking boot for four to six weeks, the overwhelming majority of injuries in the foot will heal during that period of time. The problem is that if you're a runner and not a normal sedentary American, there's going to be a problem later because you're going to go running again. I mean, let's face it, you were injured and you went and ran 16 miles. So if you use a fracture walking boot, you get weakness, stiffness, uh, all the loss of neuromuscular connections, all the bad stuff, and that one injured thing does heal. But also what a boot does is it holds you still and it protects and supports that injury, but it decreases the pressure across the entire ball of the foot because of the curvature under the boot and the way that it forces you to walk. So in my mind, if you can Not have all of that weakness and stiffness and everything else, but you can still figure out a way to support that injured part and remove some of the stress, then it will still heal the same way without all the trouble of a fracture walking boot. So, you know, by taping your toe to stabilize it and keep some of the stress off of your injury where you slammed into the deck and to, you know, remove a little pressure by simply cutting a hole in the insert to take pressure away from that injury, it achieves the same thing. So, you know, you could have worn a fracture walking boot, You, but truthfully, at this point, you know, year and a half later or whatever it is, you'd probably have had no, a number of other injuries, you know, Achilles issues or some other stress fracture or something just because of the price that you pay for being in the boot. So that's the thing is it's really, it really is that simple. And so even if you don't know exactly what the injury is, if you know where the trouble is and you can figure out what causes pain and what doesn't cause pain and how to decrease the tension to that structure by taping it and decrease the pressure by either using pads to put pressure somewhere else or cut a hole in the insert to take pressure away directly under that injury. Most of the time, that'll be a way to reduce the pain and pressure so that you can start healing. And with your story you know, when you have discomfort, you feel this bruise, but you can walk on, it's not really that bad. And you run a little bit and it doesn't get any worse. That's actually a really, really good sign. Just like your fitness, your coach, right? So, so when you see people, they're either always getting stronger or they're getting weaker. Nobody is ever staying the same is what I think. I mean, would you agree with that? It it appears that way. Yeah. Even when on, even just during maintenance phase. Right. Right. So you're either, so even in maintenance phase, exactly. When you're trying to maintain just a level plane of fitness, you're still really either improving or you're getting worse. And this is totally true of all physiology and healing, right? You're either getting better or you're getting worse. And so if you basically tell me like, okay, well, I did this thing, I slammed my foot into the ground and it really hurt, but Now it just feels kind of bruised. I can walk on it and it's whatever. It's not getting bruised. It's not really that painful. It's not getting more painful. Uh, It's not swelling anymore. Then that's a good sign because what that means is that you're effectively staying the same. So what you're doing is you're walking on it, putting pressure on it and moving it. And that's irritating the tissue. But the tissue is not so unstable that it's actually getting progressively worse. So then if you can do something really simple like decrease a little pressure or tape it to add a little stability, it implies that, you know, you could then increase your activity significantly like running without getting worse and while continuing to heal. So, but you know, when you, when you go and you do a short run, it's not worse, but then you run 16 miles and it actually gets worse and you run a little bit more, it gets even worse. Then you know, you got to take action. You got to do something to reverse that process. So how long did it take you to actually get back to where you felt like you could run without worrying about it?
1: Oh, that took months, but I was still running through it because, you know, after you told me what to do, I waited a couple of weeks to run. And then I went on like soft surface. I was doing grass at a soccer field. Uh-huh. Um, so I'd run, you know, I run like a mile or two around the soccer field. And I, but I went by feel like, you know, if it wasn't getting worse, cause you know, it's going to feel a little bad, obviously. Yeah. It's an injured area. So, you know, I would feel it and I'd be like, okay, it's, you know, at a two or three or whatever like that in the paint scale. And it would stay there. And then I get done. I take a day off. And then, you know, wake up that next day so the day after the day off, see how it felt. And if it felt okay in the morning, I'd still go test it again right, on the soccer field. So I was putting in, you know, like two, three miles at a time, two or three days a week on soft surfaces just to give it something really soft to land on. And then maybe two weeks off, then two weeks of that. And then that fifth week, I tried like a regular sidewalk through the neighborhood type of run. And that was a shorter run. You know, this time I actually ran to a park right? and did the grass at the park and then ran home. So it put, you know, a little bit more pounding on it, on the concrete. And then that was fine. So then I progressed and I stayed. I want to stay at like, I want to say I stayed at four miles, like four days a week for another month just to not, because I was in no rush to literally train for anything, but I wanted to keep running just for you know mental fitness, feeling fine, that, you know, feeling up, you know, good because you enjoy running and stuff like that. So I, I mean, luckily I wasn't really training for anything where I felt like I had to get in super big miles and stuff like that. So the four miles, a couple of days a week, three, four days a week was fine for me. So it took me maybe till, cause I was in July, I was running in August. So I want to say like mid September, I started going up into the, you know, six, seven, eight mile range and then just staying there. I was once again, I wasn't training for anything. I just wanted to get in a little more miles once in a while. Um, so I was, you know, right around September, I want to say, so maybe six, eight weeks post-injury, or post-talking to you, not post-injury, but post-talking to you was probably when I started to feel a little more confident on it and didn't worry about it so much. You know, you get done with a six-mile run, it's not nearly as painful when it was, you know, a month ago and you're walking on it and it hurts That's when I started to realize that it was okay. And I think I want to say maybe three months, right around two and a half, three months, I got rid of the insole, the extra insole Mm -hmm. and and stopped taping the toe to see if it would Feel fine on its own without the actual, you know, "quote unquote" crutch of the insole underneath it, right? To help it out. So it was about that. Long, that was about that. That was about the time frame of it all.
0: Yeah. Okay. So a couple of important points here. One of those is that you were like doing these short runs, but persistently paying attention and trying to assess: is this like you know feeling the same while I ramp up my activity, or is it getting worse? Right. So you're paying really close attention to that, and. You know, and yeah, these are probably a lot shorter runs than what you would have had on your schedule, right? Um, Exactly. But but that's what you have to do to assess it. So it's a process of just maintaining, like you said, some of that mental fitness and some activity so that you don't go nuts and you don't lose all your fitness and assessing is it improving or not as you ramp up. And then, you know, the other thing is that you said, you know, it's like around six to eight weeks that you really felt confident that you were on the right track. And if you'd been given a fracture walking boot, the standard is about six weeks in the boot. So at six weeks, instead of feeling confident that you're basically healed enough to really move forward and really keep going, at that point, you would have been getting rid of the boot and going to physical therapy to learn how to walk normally again. You know which, exactly. So the other thing is that it's very different when you get injured, when you're paying attention to the pain, because I would imagine as somebody who coaches, you know, high school athletes, if you take a kid, for example, who is a, you know, decides they want to run and they want to do a marathon, they want to do the LA marathon and they're basically sedentary. Well, the initial phase, it's like you give them a schedule and you're like, here's your schedule. You're going to run, you know, walk, run this, and you're going to run a mile. Then you're going to run two miles then you're going to run this. And it is going to be painful and uncomfortable, you're going to have to learn how to get past that. And so you tell them very specifically, right, that this is going to hurt. This is your schedule. Don't worry about it. Just stick to the schedule. And as runners, when we get injured, it kind of works against us because we still think in the back of our mind, like what our next race is, what we really want to do, what our schedule should be. And instead, you had to do the opposite. We're like, OK, no schedule. I'm going to run a mile on you know, a soccer field or I'm going to run a couple of miles here. Or I'm going to run three miles to the park. I'm gonna do something really short and see what happens. And then I'm gonna make a plan the next day, you know? So it, it is a very difficult thing to to make that shift from just ignoring discomfort to really reevaluating on a daily basis to figure out what you can do next. But how did you get through that? I mean, was that a tough process for you? Well,
1: fortunately for me, because having a sacral stress fracture is not the funnest thing in the world. <laughs> but, you know, two years prior, I've only had like really prior to the foot, I only had two really big running injuries. I had an IT band issue one time and then I had a sacral stress fracture. That sacral stress fracture took me out of running for six months. Like I could not run for six months and then wow. I had to get back into running. It took another, you know, four months of just going to the park and running for like five minutes and then walking for five minutes and then running for five minutes. Walking, and that was it for the day. Mm-hmm. And then you take a whole week off. So since I had already done that process, it was a little bit easier to tolerate this one. Cause I'm like, okay, I know that if I go slowly, I take the time to actually slowly get back into running. Uh-huh. It's better than trying to rush into it and getting into the whole injury cycle. Cause then all of a sudden you're like, you know, now my foot hurts. Well now I'm changing my stride a little bit. Okay. So now this hip's going to hurt on this side. Okay. So now I'm going to pull the muscle on this side. Now my IT band on this side is going to react a different way. So, Like I knew going in that I had to be really, really, really patient or I was going to be in the injury cycle for months and months and months and not get out of it successfully most likely.
0: Okay, great. All right. So listen, I know you're a coach, right? So you have um, a unique perspective. You have a lot of experience. And as a coach, you wind up not just with the experience of having run 46 marathon, but I think coaches wind up like you you don't have 46 marathons worth of experience. You have hundreds of marathons worth of experience because you've helped and trained all of these people to make it to an event and get through the event. So (laughs) for you, that may be a bit easier to kind of like look at it from this different perspective. But for, you know, the normal runner, somebody who's been running for years and then they get injured, like, you know, what advice would you give them in terms of like assessing the pain and really paying attention to what's going on? Like, how would you tell them to look at that?
1: Uh, Well, one, I'd say be honest with the pain. Don't say in your head that it's a two when it's really a six, just because you want it to be a two so you can head out the door. Right. Then... while you are running, be honest with yourself, don't have a mileage stuck in your head where you're saying, you know, today I planned on six miles. So you get to mile three and it kind of starts to feel a little off, but you're like, Hey, I'm halfway through my run. Like I can get to the next mile. That's no big deal. Then I'm pretty close to six because I'm at four. So I might as well just finish it. Like Mm -hmm. that kind of thinking, that kind of thing is not beneficial to you. The way you got to look at it is, Hey, I'd rather take two, three, four weeks off now or back off for two or four weeks right now so I can be successful the rest of the year, as opposed mm-hmm. to two or four weeks of running, you know, kind of through an injury and then taking two to four months off because it turned into something bigger.
0: That's right. Yeah. And,
1: but that's such a hard thought for people that have never been through it or the stubborn runner or the person that wants to get to the race that they signed up for. You know, I had never missed a race before and I started missing races, obviously, because when the sacral fracture happened. Mm -hmm. And then I signed up for races after I had recovered, you know, I'm like, okay, this race is three months off. I'm going to sign up for this race and do it. And I wasn't training well and I actually scrapped a couple of races and mentally that was hard at first, but now it's like, okay, I'm glad I didn't do those races and force my 13 mile, you know, the half marathon and, you know, maybe hurt myself then. I've missed a couple of races and I'm fine with it now because I know that in the big picture of running for the rest of my life, it's better to miss a couple of things here and there then it is missed, you know, months and months and months of training due to major injuries.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I was, when you were talking about that, I was thinking one of my ways that I sort of stay on track with training is um, I almost always, even with like doing Ironman training, doing long swims and stuff like that, I always try to do out and back, right? So even if it's like a swim in a lake or the ocean or whatever, I'd rather swim like one mile out. So I know I have to do the other mile coming back. And Mm -hmm. I don't really like doing loops because I don't like to count and uh, it's boring. But, you know, if I do a, if I'm going to do 18 miles and I run nine miles out, I have to do nine miles to get home, you know? Yeah. And so doing loops like somewhere where you can go run, you know, even if it's at a park where it's like a mile and a half around the park, it may be boring, Mm -hmm. but if you do a mile and a half and it feels okay, you go another mile and a half. And if you get to three and it's starting to hurt, like you said, and your plan was to go six, it's a lot easier to say, you know what, I'll just get in the car and go home. Whereas if you run three miles out the door, most people are not going to say, okay, well, they're like, it's only three miles. You're like, you're not going to take Uber home, you know? Um, That's what you should do. But most people are not going to do that. But when you're like running right past your car, you know, doing a loop over and over at the park, it's a lot easier to sort of, you know, rein it in and listen. And like you said, be honest with yourself and realize, look, this is hurting. Continuing to run on it when it's hurting is never a good idea. If you're trying to heal. I agree hundred percent. All right, Craig. Uh, so uh, any other tips for people for the new year when they're, you know, setting their goals or trying to figure out how they're going to make all their goals this year, anything that you as a coach would uh, tell them, like what's the, what's the golden piece of advice? Well,
1: if their goal is to run healthfully and successfully for the year, and they're not doing dynamic warm-ups or cool downs that's mm-hmm. where you should start. Secondly, yeah. they should find their muscle imbalances and work on some strength training. I know people don't like it. A lot of runners don't want to do, you know, some single leg squats or some single leg um, lunges and stuff like that. But 10 minutes of that post run, a couple of days a week, makes the biggest difference in your running performance.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. That's a good point. So... Yeah, there was, uh, I think it did an episode on looking for your limiters, you know, and um, let's face it, if you're really, if you've been running a long time, you've done a bunch of races and you're, you know, what you think of is as close to your physiologic capacity and fitness that you can get, you cannot just put in more hours. It doesn't work, but if you can find these little, like you said, these imbalances, right, little weak spots here and there, and if you strengthen the weak spots, you get huge gains by comparison to putting in more time. So, I think that's great advice. Well, Craig, um, you know, people want to get a hold of you. They want to talk to you. How can they reach out to you?
1: I'm on Twitter. I'm CMOS23. And then if they want to email me, because I do offer coaching, it's um, CRM6283 at lausd.net.
0: Okay, so if it's cool with you, we'll put those uh, links in the show notes on, uh, for this episode so people can get a hold of you. Oh, 100%. All right, Craig. Hey, thanks so much. I appreciate you coming on the show. I appreciate you sharing your story and appreciate you, um, you know, being willing to, to kind of share your insight with all of our listeners today.
1: I mean, no problem. And good luck with your racing this season if you're racing at all. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate
0: it. What's a virtual doctor visit? The idea of not running at all while waiting for my foot to heal was simply depressing. I really needed a second opinion from an expert, someone who specializes in helping runners But frankly, I just couldn't afford the cost of a house call. I saved enough money to pay for my next marathon registration. You do have an appointment with Dr. Segler, whether it's via Skype or on the phone. You can expect, one, he's gonna be on time. Two, he's gonna be able to spend more time with you than the typical uh, visit in a doctor's office. And both of those are gonna result in more effective diagnosis and treatment plan for you.